After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hey everyone, it's Raghu, and I'm back with Mind Rolling and uh, an old friend. Problem with these podcasts and COVID uh, is that we have may not have met in person, and that may not happen <laughs> for some time. But I, st- but uh, through the magic of Zoom, um, I really appreciate that we can get together, Alistair. Alistair McIntosh, Alistair, welcome. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me back again, Raghu. Yes, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Alistair has a new book, Riders on the Storm. And for those of you who don't remember the last podcast, uh, boy, Alistair's done a lot around uh, as an activist uh, around climate change and globalization, land reform, community community empowerment, and nonviolence, nonviolence with an emphasis. And here's the core of how we bond as far as I'm concerned, which is around the psychological and spiritual aspects mm. of all of this, without which uh, I think very hard to get anything accomplished if we're not paying attention to what's going on inside ourselves. So, um, oh, you know, you sent me a note, Alistair, uh, and you, what did you say? You were listening to a Ramdas podcast and yeah, I was listening to your latest one, number 170 on, wait a minute, I wrote it down, um, Stories on Karma, I think it is. Yes, number yeah, 170. Karma. Okay, and, yeah, um, now I remember. Okay, so tell me what it is that at first kind of puts you into left <laughs> orbit there. <laughs> well, you're diving deep in, straight in the deep end, Vagu, because um, I actually listened to your introduction to it twice. So I listened to it right through, and then I replayed your introduction because you give such a wonderful Thank you. Um, explanation, such a wonderful opening of the notion that Ramdas had discussed with Maharaji to oh. the effect that karma is grace, grace is karma. Mm. And 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 you you know it, it was about how um, Ramdas put that to Maharaji, and Maharaji said he wasn't going to talk about it in public. Yeah, but you very kindly done so, and and I just loved the um, opening you had there, and it, it's so relevant, Raghu, to what I've been writing about and thinking about with respect to mm. climate change and where we're at today. So that was why it was important 
to me, and and in other respects, you know, not just climate change, but in other respects of where we're at in the world just mm. now. But uh, remember also, I think the most important thing to note for everybody, because this is a subject that's beyond all of our pay grade, as they might say, because I was told directly uh, by Sidima, who Maharaji fortunately left us with uh, our, our Indian mother and uh, a saint in her own right. And when I talked to her about this, she said, yeah, that's true, but you cannot rationally grasp that. You have to act as if it is not true, and you have to take action, and you have to, uh, I mean, and now I'm adding on a little bit, you've got to witness that. In, in, in the way that Ramdas witnessed from a place behind judgment, uh, behind um, clinging, which is very mm. difficult to get to, and you have to witness it from that place and, and know that there is another plane of consciousness um, uh, that's uh, ultimate reality rather than relative reality in which there is no difference. But we this be, can become such a cop-out and a, a, a spiritual bypass, and, and it can be on every level with every subject. Uh, but yeah, tell me how it feels to you regarding... Uh, the kind of work that you've been doing and what you've been trying to accomplish for so long. Okay, well, so, you know, basically, you know, my latest book is this, um, yes. Riders on the Storm, um, subtitled The Climate Crisis and the Survival of a Being. And could I maybe just say a little bit for people here in Scotland who might be listening to your recording when I tweet it out, Raghu, and, yep. and more widely in Europe, you know, we're talking there about Ram Dass, a great um, American spiritual teacher, a.k.a. Richard Alpert, who passed away last year, and to whom you are very close, and whose archive you are a custodian of and share out on the internet. And we were talking about one of his sayings, that karma, um, that is to say the cycle of cause and effect in our lives, ultimately is grace. It's not just the good and bad things you do and so on, but there is a, if I understood you correctly, you were suggesting there is a deeper spiritual dynamic unfolding in this process. Could you just say a little bit more than that so it's in your words <laughs> yeah. for people who don't quite know what we're talking about? Yeah, that's after I said there's no way to possibly to understand <laughs> it with mind. <laughs> now you want me to do that? Uh, <laughs> no, well, let's. Right you, you you saw the trap before you yeah, fell into yeah, the swan. Right. <laughs> you, you, you did it so wonderfully on the Ramdas uh, podcast number mm. one seventy the other day. I I don't even remember what I said, but I I will say that my experience with being around this very very special being who was not at all in any subject object reality. There was no me, me whatsoever. We, anyone who came anywhere near him knew that. It, was, it, wasn't even, it was beyond an intellectual knowing. It was just a thing that was there that did the right thing. And you could go in that thing, that pool, and luxuriate in nowness and luxuriate in unconditionality of love and so on. So it was extraordinary that way. And again... 
the grace part of it is just a deeper place where we are so interconnected with that which is, which we have so many names for, God, no self, Buddhist, Buddha mind, whatever it is, Mm. we all have a different way of expressing it. Divine presence, I like that a little bit better than God. Mm. And Mm -hmm. um, so the way that that suddenly becomes manifest in many different ways in all of our lives gives us a little bit of a clue that the interconnectivity of the, as you said, cause and effect of karma and that which is. I mean, like Maharaji, uh, which we called Neem Karoli Baba, demonstrated on a Mm day-to-day basis that Mm -hmm. he had access to all of the past of our stuff, the present and the future. And that starts to give you an idea of the difference in the dimensions, our relative reality and ultimate reality, that you get a little bit of a glimpse. And in that glimpse manifests the concept of grace, right? So that's just a glimpse. and your understanding of grace, could you, before we focus us back on to climate change, could you just say what your understanding of grace is? I mean, it's it's very obviously personal in this case because, uh, <laughs> and, and I do believe everybody on this planet, every soul has a guide. We just, we can call it even just intuition, you know, working with our intuition and, uh, I th- I believe that that guide has only one purpose, which is to allow us to be free from our mm-hmm. uh, clinging, our story we tell ourselves, the thoughts we believe in, the causes and conditions that made us up into that thing we call me, all of it. There is a thing that is guiding us through to become free so that we can be of some use to our fellow humans Mm -hmm. through kindness, Mm -hmm. compassion, love, etc. And that thing is grace. It represents grace. Mm -hmm. And it has Mm -hmm. only that object. And it's not so describable. It's not like like Maharaji uh, would sit around and one day he you know he'd be tossing fruit to everybody and then the next day suddenly you didn't get one oh my <laughs> god you know oh god i'm the worst person that ever lived and and so on it helped to and this is a tiny little tiny example you know and we go through these mind trips about how come i didn't get, everybody else is getting i'm not you know the usual thing of of the kind of minds that we live in and yet I later came to understand, and I was a kid then, you know, very young. All all of us were in our early 20s, except for Ram Dass, who was uh, older. And I came to understand that the perfection of what was happening in the moment to just, it's like popping the pimple there, right, of of these samskaras, these uh, proclivities, to the defense mechanisms that we go through, the feelings of being less than, all of the usual psychological BS that we all have on a day-to-day basis 
that there was only one thing going on from this being, which was to allow us to become free so that we, be, we could become whole. That allowance is, is grace. And everybody has it. It's just a matter of identifying with it. And there are karmas involved of, 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 of uh, intention and working towards this, having this intention, working towards becoming a whole person. Whatever, again, there's so many names to what that means, but just wanting, I mean, look at the work that you're doing and wanting to bring in the spiritual and psychological aspects of dealing. So you're dealing with yourself internally while you are doing this act. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm just thinking, um, sorry, I'm just thinking that yesterday I was um, doing a Zoom with the, so I'm a Quaker, as you know, mm-hmm. Raghu, mm-hmm. Um, heavily influenced by Eastern traditions. I mean, there's um, Mahatma Gandhi's translation of the Bhagavad Gita, or, or rather, should I say, Mahudev Desai, um, his secretary's translation of Gandhi's translation of the Bhagavad Gita. I'm, I'm very much into that kind of stuff. But yesterday I was doing a Zoom with the Scottish Catholic International Aid Fund and talking about Laudato Si, the Pope's encyclical on the environment. And I was having a bit of a laugh with them because I, re- I used to be the only non-Catholic on the board of the Scottish Catholic hmm. um, Relief Agency. And, and so I've got all of these encyclicals, you know, going. <laughs> uh. And then, I, and then I, I played a sort of joke on them and I pulled out this one, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And I said, what are you doing here? Now, of course, this is from the Presbyterian tradition in which many of us in Scotland were raised, including Donald Trump, who at the moment, as we are speaking tonight, is still your president in the United States, including Donald Trump's mother, who is from my island. And the very first question and answer in this, which we all had to learn off by heart at school, was, what is the chief end of man? Answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, when you're a kid, you don't even know what that means. What is a chief end and so on. And of course, there's the whole gender construction of him and uh, what have you in, in there. But when you actually unpack it, it's talking about grace. It's saying that we are brought into this world to enjoy to glorify the the divine presence and enjoy it forever. Well, you know, if we don't glorify it, we're not going to enjoy it. If you don't arrange the flowers, you're not going to see the flowers perfectly. So, you know, in so many of our traditions, we've got this beauty. And if we if we develop the eyes to see it, and the importance of this for me, Raghu, both with COVID just now, the coronavirus, and with climate change, is how do we let it affect us? Uh, do we say terrible things are happening in the world and throw up our hands in despair and if we can hide in a hole or if we can't react in the kind of often quite disturbing ways like all the conspiracy theory stuff that is flying around just now, do we take that course of action? Or do we say, as I think in the kind of Hindu-Buddhist tradition that you are coming out of, and the um, the bhakti, the devotional Hinduism that the late Ram Das 
um, who I had that privilege of meeting in Ireland in 1994, would say, you know, karma is going to happen, cause and effect in other words, is going to happen. The karma in which we move is both our individual karma, it's the things that we do, but it's also the collective karma of humankind at this time. So, you know, as a, as a friend of mine here in Govan in Glasgow, the late Colin MacLeod, um, whose um, father was from the Isle of Lewis and mother from Donegal, used to say, shit happens. What matters is how we shovel it. <laughs> That's good. You know, the karma is going to happen. The, yeah. the, the coronavirus is a consequence of how we are living on this planet mm -hmm. in terms of the you know, people living packed pack close together, bad animal welfare in all likelihood, although the reason for it is not exactly known for sure. Um, and then being able to spread so rapidly. Why? Because of fossil fuels, because of air travel, around the world. So although the coronavirus, there is no evidence of it being caused by climate change, it's actually of the same order yeah. of the karma of the times yeah. that this is emerging. So the one crisis of coronavirus is unfolded in the greater crisis of climate change. And then how do we face up to that ragu? I mean, I think the most central thing I've been trying to do in this book and particularly its subtitle, The Survival of Being, is I'm trying to say that enfolded within that karma, I don't put it like this in the book, because a lot of this book is scientifically pitched um, as it needs to be. Um, but what, what I'm moving towards, what I'm moving my reader towards, especially in the final three chapters, is to suggest that enfolded in what is happening to us is Greece. Enfolded in what is happening to us is a teaching that humankind needs to hear at this time. And the wisdom of walking through these times, and I would even say the privilege of walking mm. through these times, mm. is that if we start to see it like that, we receive grace, we receive divine blessing, we receive deeper perception into the enjoyment of God the glorification and enjoyment forever and ever. Um, we get drawn into what the Gospels speak of as participation or partaking in the divine nature. Yeah, that's beautifully said, Alistair. <laughs> well, it was, you know, we, that was, a, see, that be, was thanks to you. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank no, you for no, that podcast you know, because... This is uh, talk about community, and uh, you know I know how much <laughs> time you spend, and and so do I. I think it's the most important thing. Um, the way, see, we just shared something, and you brought it out the, through your lens, and I brought it out through mine, and that starts to make it even more whole and understandable. It's, uh, it's so beautiful, it. and you know I've, I've talked about it with coronavirus and the um, and climate change just now. But you know, it also had huge traction in my mind. And the reason I replayed specifically your introduction to that podcast twice, uh, for people who don't know, um, Ragu hosts um, roughly every fortnight. He puts out an old recording from the 80s and 90s, mostly, of one of Ram Dass's lectures. And he always fronts it up with about oh, 10, 15 minutes of preamble where he reflects on what's coming up. 
Yeah. And, and 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 I, I replayed it twice from Ragu because you know in this past couple of months we've had to move my 92 year old mother into a nursing home. We've brought her down from the Isle of Lewis, close to where I am in Glasgow. Actually, a Jewish nursing home mm. that um, has a beautiful mm. sense of community. Mm. And so you know we're not a Jewish family, but um, you know thank you for the opening that was possible just by sheer circumstance. And we brought her down. And so, you know, I'm kind of wrestling with all of that, of each day, you know, I'm hardly coping with my work just now, because each afternoon, I'm, or nearly every day, I'm going up to visit her as she suffers dementia as a consequence mm. of brain mm-hmm. injury from a fall that mm. she had. And so I'm wrestling with all of that. But I'm also thinking, you know, what you were saying in that podcast, uh, the, in the karma is, in, is grace. How can we take what has happened to my mother and draw grace from it. And when I'm standing there at the window outside of the care home, because I'm not allowed to go inside mm. because of COVID, mm. I'm looking in through the window and she's there helpless in bed. And often all I can do is just smile. How can I be held in a depth of grace mm. arising out of what has happened? Yeah. That at mm. the end of the session, causes it to smile and give thanks, which is what is happening. Yeah. Gratitude. Oh, so uh, <laughs> I wanted to mention, of course, the first uh, part of the book. Um, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, Ramdas would say, <laughs> oh, my God. And you start the book out saying, you quote, and this is funny because I'll show you, you quote Jim Morrison of The Doors, into this house we're born. Uh strange prophetic ballad had it um i don't know what song that's from i don't remember do you riders in the storm that's riders that's in the storm right. oh from the name yeah, of the damn book oh I for god's sake okay storm. so boing and, and don't forget don't forget ragu uh morrison is not just any old name morris son vora son the blessed virgin mary's son in Gaelic language, Morrison is an English corruption or an English translation of the <laughs> Scottish and Irish Gaelic name, MacGilvora, the son, Mac, Gil, of the servant of Vora, the special name reserved in the Celtic Gaelic tradition for the Blessed Virgin Mary. Oh, my God. That is a name. And, and Morrison, Jim Morrison, I mean... I don't. I, the only song of his that I know is "Riders in the Storm." It was part of my growing up. But in that, you know, Jim Morrison was—I don't know the rest of his music—but he was very proud, apparently, of his Scottish ancestry. Mm. Okay. And I often wonder if it might have been from the Isle of Lewis, because Morrison is one of the key clan names on the island where I was raised oh, in well, the Scottish Outer Hebrides. Well. Yeah, well, so well, that's where it's gonna, coming from. Okay, here's something <laughs> <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, and uh, I'll tell a little story. But uh, after you know, I, I start. I saw the Jim Morrison uh, reference, and then you know, I'm reading through the beginning of the book, and we have things like, let's see, uh, oh my, it's just uh, you really have to. Where, where is this? Ay, 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 ay epidemics, pandemics, COVID, of course, you go into, and um, and, uh, there's so much untowardness 
that is going on in on this planet, pest, pol pollinators and disease, uh, drought, fire and flood. I'm, I'm sitting here in California and it's all around us, uh, yeah. you know, and um, uh, uh, marine heat waves, uh, ocean stratification, acidification. And so you, you keep all I could think of was the Jim Morrison song. It goes something like this. This is the end, do, 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 the only end, my friend. Talk about a nihilistic point of view, which is the opposite of what you espouse and live. Uh, but I, um, I have a very good friend who is uh, part of the, he has been very involved in, uh, in politics and activism uh, for his entire life, was head of the ACLU in, in California and uh you know, very much a, a, a lefty. And uh, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, I I always I have him on. He had a podcast on Be Here Now Network for a while then, but he's been he's uh, manage he, he's a major guy in the music business. It manages different people, but is also a writer. So I count on him for political acumen and a big picture kind of ideas, rather than. You know, you're in the reactivity in the trenches, so to speak. So Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg died. And, uh, you know, it was, of course, a huge shock here, as you can imagine. It was the one fear that most people had because then, you know, he would have, uh, Trump would have the opportunity to do what he's done. Yeah. Yeah. So I wrote to him, I texted him, I said, oh my God, this is a terrible tragedy. And boy, what does the future look like or something like that? Expecting him to give me a complete, you know, it was like, is this the end, Danny? His name is Danny Goldberg. And I expected him to come back with a treatise on the complexity of the moment related to the historical, you know, everything returns. There is nothing that is static, right? So no, but you know what I got back from him? Yes. Just yes, we are screwed. <laughs> oh, so then it fed my. This is the uh, end. Yeah. Anyhow, that's uh, oh, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, um, and and I think um, did I mention to you the the great Chinese aphorism, which I've been mentioning on many podcasts, but it's worth repeating that these kinds of times they call dangerous opportunity, and that is. I believe core to your message, absolutely core to your message. You bet, you bet. Um, that was why I agreed to write this book, Ragu. And as you know, the first you of the eight, um, sorry, how many chapters have I got in it? Um, <laughs> nine of the of the nine chapters. The first four are actually summarizing the current science of climate change. Because if we're going to dig from where we stand. We have to know where we stand. So before speculating on where climate change leads us to psychologically and spiritually, we need to know what the science is actually saying. And so I've leaned on the three recent special reports of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the body set up by the United Nations, because those are the special reports that will most inform 
the next meeting of COP26, a conference of the parties, in other words, the heads of government of the world, for their 26th meeting, which was due to have been taking place one mile up the river from where I am in Glasgow just now next month, but has now been postponed to the following year. And so basically what I've done is I have summarised what's in those reports. And to those who say, well, the IPCC is much too conservative in how it puts things, I reply, look, these reports are put together by the leading climate scientists in the world. Not just any old climate scientists, but scientists with a reputation worth not losing. You know, there's a lot of people who try to make their reputation by attacking the science and saying it's either it's either too exaggerated or it's too conservative. And the question that I always have, have is, uh, who in this has got a reputation worth not losing? In other words, who's going to play a straight ball with it? And I think particularly in the report on 1.5 degree of global warming, various commentators have said that the IPCC has really pulled out the stops and named it as it is. Now, the thing about climate science is that a lot of people have opinions about climate science, one way or another. But the thing to remember is that mostly we only know what we think we know about climate science because of the science of climate science. And so if we're going to pretend we know better, either it's not happening like the scientists say it is, or it's happening far, far worse than the scientists say it is, and we're all going to be extinct by 2026, so there's going to be six or seven million dead because of climate change within the next one or two generations. If we come out with that kind of narrative, what on what basis are we claiming to know better? So in both the science and the spirituality, we have to come at it from a position of humility. Otherwise, we will trip up on the shadow of our own hubris. Mm. Yeah. Well put. One, one thing that struck me... Because we come in, in the tradition, we come from in India, and uh, it's really around feeding people. This was a major edict from Ninkaroli Baba. Um, so the the of course the great concern about food insecurity you have in here, and uh, and of course that has to include also water, uh, which is uh, where I am. You know, which is basically a desert here in California. Uh, that's certainly a major issue. But I like this one thing. I, um, it's around the concept of resilience, which is a huge topic. This is resilience related to climate. Mm. Uh, um, of course, resilience related to us as humans in this part of uh, our evolvement here is uh, extraordinarily uh, necessary. SRCCL, I, I'm not sure what that is, but that's, this is who you're attributing to this quote. Uh, the capacity of interconnected social, economic, and ecological systems, such as farming systems, to absorb mm. disturbance such as drought, conflict, market collapse, and respond or reorganize to maintain their essential, essential function, identity, and structure. 
resilience can be described as quote unquote coping capacity, viewing the land as a component of an interlinked social ecological system, identifying key relationships that determine system function and vulnerabilities, and identifying <laughs> thresholds or tipping points beyond which the system transitions to an undesirable state. I would only say their remark, resilience is a coping capacity, I think is limited. I think if you add into, we just did a, a retreat at the end of the summer, it was called Wise Hope, uh, cultivating loving resilience. Because a resilience that's coming out of will is short uh is short of the of the truth short of the possibilities it falls short yeah if it comes from that place which is behind that judgy mind self-interested mind self-cherishing as the buddhists say then um it's a much stronger resilience how that relates to uh, of course that's a personal thing that's with us as individual souls um, but I think in our connection to doing the kind of work you're doing, uh, and I know people here are doing a lot of work uh, that I'm directly involved with. One of them is on the board of uh, our foundation uh, about changing the nature of how we are farming and, um, and taking it to the next uh, level, which is yes. not abuse, but rather mm -hmm. real cultivation of the possibilities of moving forward to be able to not get into a food shortages and so on. Well, that long quote you read, that very fine quote, um, CCL is my shorthand for the IPCC's special report on climate change and the land mm. that was released last year. So that's actually what you just read out is IPCC language at its best, where it's defining resilience. Yeah. And of course, because it's speaking as a scientific body, Raghu, you know, it, it it can't really talk about the same kind of things we would talk about in terms of the depth of human community and that bonding as being the um, the love that moves between us or the potential for the love that moves between us. Um, that's where we have to take what the IPCC says about something like resilience and take it further in exactly the way you've just described, because one of the key points I'm making in this book is that we're not going to save ourselves of the earth purely through conventional, um, technical, economic, political ways of doing things. We are only going to create a sane future, a bright future for humankind and for the regeneration of other species and their habitats if we deepen into community with one another and the planet, and that means opening up to the work of love. And love can't be just turned on as an act of will. Love is a gift of grace. Love comes from recognizing our lovelessness, our blockages and our capacity to love confessing to ourselves and to the divine 
the deficit we carry within us and asking to be given the gift. If we don't ask, you know, Jesus says, knock and the door will be answered. Mm -hmm. If we don't knock, if we don't ask, it won't be given. And the whole point about having to ask is that to ask requires a certain humility. And the thing that tends to block us from the grace of love is our ego structures, the rigidity of our ego structures, our attachment, as Ramdas was talking about in that um, podcast, Be Here Now podcast 170 the other day, you know, he was saying, what is karma? Um, karma is actually our attachment to the, to the way we like to think the world should be, instead of a letting go into the grace of what the Buddha nature, the Tao, the goddess, Allah, Brahman, Christ, <laughs> however, whatever trips you out. Yes. <laughs> what the divine is offering to us. Yeah, yeah. Another hey, impo- hey, hey. Yeah, really. <laughs> Another thing that's quite important, uh, and it's something, boy, we're facing on a day-to-day basis. I'd like to say more especially here, but probably you can enumerate all of the, the and I'm talking about climate change denialism and how mm-hmm. that fits into the power structure that is mm-hmm. holding on for dear life. And, um, and as you put it here, uh, these, in your experience, these people have been white, male, middle class, and you get the impression unwilling to consider any any restraint upon their lifestyle, right? This often comes with a narcissistic presumption of entitlement. Boy, we're describing somebody out there. If challenged, <laughs> hints at a brooding anger, a resentment that I cannot help but ponder might have more to do with early childhood issues than with any real debate about the science. And that is so absolutely descriptive of so many people and, and certainly people who are uh, at the head of our government here in the United States at this point. And uh, uh, the le- level of self-interest is so high, as you say, mm. to, to protect this. So uh, th- that's a really important uh, uh, part of this dialogue part of this conversation oh very good i mean you know that brings us into what i'm really trying to do with this book because like all of my books um i work by combining you know in this case science and grounded science um you know, if you like mainstream establishment science because that's quite alarming enough without having to be alarmist by exaggerating climate change. I, I work by combining that with all manner of stories to bring it alive and ground it for my reader. And what I've done in this book is I've bookended it with the work that I have been involved in going back to 1977 in New Guinea. Initially in Papua New Guinea, the independent state in the eastern half of New Guinea, the second biggest island in the world, when I was a volunteer in the with appropriate technology and teaching in the 1970s and 80s and then laterally since 2012 with the eastern indonesian side um often known as west papua let's call it papua for um for, for our purposes here just now where we have had groups of leaders 
coming over from there, most recently grassroots village leaders, and I take them up to the island I was raised in and where Donald Trump's mother was from, the Isle of Lewis in the Outer Hebrides, and we go around and we visit the community land trusts, and we share stories about disempowerment and re-empowerment. So I start off in this book talking about the trip we did last, the visit we had last year funded by a private foundation of village leaders from West Papua province, from Raja Ampat, who came to Scotland. And the first place we took them to was my own village, Ragu. And we took them out across the river. And when we got to a certain marker point, we had a huge big pot with us Big, big yellow pot that was filled with firewood. And I was there with, you know, I was there with Rusty, the village blacksmith, who I've, you know, met, known since my first day at school when we were four in 1960, and with a younger generation of two of the young women from the village. And when we got to the marker, we started pulling shellfish off the rocks, all these mussels and cockles in the sand. We started pulling them off and filling the pot. Ragu, these Papuans who were from the villages, they couldn't believe it. They said, this is what we do in our villages to welcome honoured village, guests. We take them down to the reef and we collect shellfish and we have a feast. And so we collected shellfish and we sat in some old ruins, some stone ruins, and we had the feast. Whereupon, whereupon um, Evelyn Cool MacLeod said, It'll have been a long time since a feast was had in this house. This was the house of one of my grannies. And so the story unfolded of the Highland clearances, how the people had been evicted from the land, one of whom was Donald Trump's mother's ancestors, bringing about layers of trauma, which eventually led to thousands of islanders emigrating in the 1920s, including herself, where she met Frederick Christ Trump. And so what I'm doing in this climate change book is I'm analyzing not just the maternal psychohistory of Donald Trump, but I'm also looking at, you know, so much of his base constituency, the Scots-Irish-Americans, many of whom had similar psychological histories. Mm. And I'm saying, you know, we're coming from a place of fundamental dislocation from the land, of clearance from the land. I call it the four seas. Clearance from the land leading to collapse of our inner life. And so, you know, there's many stories of people getting to the new world, and some of them just went and made it and were all very happy, but many desperately struggled. You know, there's a sad song that says there's no Cayley on the prairie. There's no partying. There's no community out in the lonely prairies. So clearance, collapse, and then how do you fill the emptiness? You fill the emptiness by becoming a sucker for consumerism. You fill the emptiness by building golden towers, by materialism, because your spiritual connections with the earth and one another have been lost to you, and intergenerationally so, so you don't even know what has happened to you. That's why J in, in J.D. Vance's book, Hillbilly Elegy, you know, he talks about the spiritual and material poverty of his own people in Appalachia. And and he says, something's going on that we don't understand. And I'm suggesting it's coming out of this kind of psychohistory in Scotland, Ireland, 
and other European countries of that era of the first transfer of people. And what is the antidote to that? I'm proposing that the antidote is precisely what we had the Papuans looking at on the Isles of Lewis and Harris. It is rebuilding community. It is getting the land back into community ownership through these land trusts. And then once people are in control of their own place, they can decide what to do by way of infrastructure, renewable energy, affordable housing for the young, instead of it all being sold for tourist holiday homes and so on. That's what we are seeing happening in Scotland. Mm. That's what we were showing the Papuans. And when people say, well, what might the world learn if and when it comes to Scotland in November 2021 for the COP26 conference, my answer to that is it might learn about community. Mm -hmm. It might learn about membership together. It might learn about how we rebuild our society. And, you know, you don't need to try and overturn capitalism. You just need to try and subvert it from the foundations. When people, when people are back in community of serving one another for the common good, they don't need all the blandishments that marketing and advertising and the capitalist machine throws our way and destroys the environment in the process of it. And that's basically what I'm mm, trying mm, to come at mm, in this book. Mm, very good. As they say in India, very good. <laughs> thank you thank so you, you also in in the chapter i don't want to spend too much time on this so this this skeptics and psychology of denial i i love some you have a whole list here of coping strategies right and which we are all very familiar with and the biggest one was too big for me to make a difference i'm just a little guy mm -hmm. here you know and that is so <laughs> absolutely wrong uh, but I like this one the best. This is good. I mean, I might even use this sometime if I get really frustrated, Alistair. I'm, I'm honest with you. Uh, CO2 is plant food. I like a bit of warmth because <laughs> I'm always thinking I'm from Montreal. It's freezing. I can't go anywhere. Oh, and, you know, here we are where I am in California right now. Uh, we're going into a week of kind of mid-80s, high 80s uh, Fahrenheit wow. Uh, wow. Right? Uh, for the first week in November. That's yeah. a little odd. Yeah. And I'm like this mm. person. Yeah, I like a little bit of warmth, the little CO2 change, you know. And I know, I know. And, you know, it's, and there's a whole denial. I mean, you also get in those quotes from the denialists that I've used. And I, I, I've drawn those from... Um, behind me on the shelf somewhere up there, um, you know, from the various books on the psychology of climate change, um, that, uh, of which there's a lot of research now. And, and you've got, you basically got people saying, yeah, we know it's happening, but um, you know, we don't want to stop our holidays. We don't yeah, want right, to give right, up the yeah. second car, car yeah. and house. And it's, it's people are so invested in materialism. And then you say, well, is this really making you happy? And of course, it's not really making anybody happy. And so, you know, how do you find the happiness? This is where the spiritual journey opens up. So again, you know, the karma is catching up on us, but the grace is the deepening into our, into our true nature, our divine nature that, that can be learned from this. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like to, before we 
get to the end here, let's let's get into the positivity of the possibilities of the future, which you outline. And, mm-hmm. you know, right off the bat, a very deep wisdom, partly ancient and partly emergent is required to see us through mm-hmm. the explosive effects of something as huge and yeah. as global as the climate uh, mm-hmm. crisis. And it's something that we think about a lot, uh, turning mm-hmm. to actually, uh, this is something that we're in the midst of at the Be Here Now Network, podcast network, mm-hmm. which is to uh, engender much more of indigenous wisdom and bring that to the fore. And so we're, our intention is there and we're reaching out. Uh, and I think, and as you say, it's crucial to study and dis- discern, this is so important, what distinguishes the authentic from the inauthentic, the true liminal from the false liminal, the holy from the phony ho- holy. Ramdas would have loved you. <laughs> Ramdas is right? my yeah. view, sir. Yeah. This is what a spiritual tradition at its best which is something that must be sought for and discerned can help people to do. Yeah, just expand on that because that, that's super important. Yes, well, I think, you know, if I can, uh, is it okay, Raghu, if I tell um, the story that I end up with about the rainmaker? Absol- absolutely, I'm glad you're story. doing that because that's uh, that's the um, crescendo of this book. It, 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 it's a crescendo. It's not. I mean, I have a multiple crescendo in my final chapter, as you know. Mm. Um, but if I can just, um, you know, I think given your own particular spiritual traditions and so on, that was one that is of particular relevance. So first of all, you know, I am saying that we must do all the scientific and political and economic things that the experts in those things uh, are recommending that we do. We obviously have to do them in balance, and we have to do them in a way that conforms with democracy. You can't have a green fascist uh, dictatorship to try and push this thing through, because there are other people who will be much better at playing fascism than the greenies is, uh, are going to be able to do. So, you know, I'm endorsing um, things like the Green New Deal and all of these things that are being talked about. But at the deeper level, there is a question, Raghu, and you raised the question, you, um, or you, po- you pointed to one of the denial objections being, uh, what difference can I make? And I actually think that every single one of us can make a far greater difference than we ever imagined. You know, just this evening, you know, there's this movie, Borat, that's going around. <laughs> yeah, I and uh, and the, the heroine that's kind of emerged from it is this African-American woman, if I understand correctly, who was asked to babysit Borat's supposed daughter and taught her wisdom. And, and there's been a crowdfunding. And as of today, they've raised $110,000 for her. Yeah. Now, she was just a simple woman from one of the local churches that Borat went to and said, you know, have you got somebody who's a grandmotherly type figure? And up she popped. And there in this most ordinary woman, you're getting this wonderful wisdom being coming out and played out, as I understand it in the movie. I've only watched a little bit of that movie. Now, the bearing on this is the importance of holding our bearing the importance of being grounded in who we authentically are. And when I get asked by people, what can I do about climate change? I'm already, you know, 
not doing this and I'm doing that. I'm doing all, ticking all the boxes. I say, look, it boils down to you as a human being, to deepening your humanity. And they say, what difference does that make? And I say to them, well, let me tell you the great Swiss psychologist Carl Jung's very favorite after-dinner story that he would irrepressibly tell at the least opportunity. There's two versions of it given in, is it Maria or Marina Sabat? This is, well, I forget her name exactly. The book is called The Earth Has a Soul, a wonderful collection of readings by an American publisher of an anthology of Jung's work. So Jung's favorite after-dinner story was a story that had been told to him by his good friend, Richard Wilhelm, the German professor and missionary in China in the 1920s, who we know today best of all for his translation of the I Ching, the book that Jung said encoded the sum of, Scot of Scottish, of Chinese <laughs> indigenous, indigenous, <laughs> indigenous wisdom, you see. And so the story that Wilhelm told to Jung was that there was a terrible drought in the province where he was working. And the grass died, and the animals were starting to die, and the indigenous Chinese knew that they would be next. So they went to the Protestant missionaries and said, can you help? And the Protestant missionaries came and said their prayers and delivered their long sermons, but no rain. And so they went to the Catholic missionaries, who came and presumably went round with their statues of the Blessed Virgin Mary and sprinkled holy water and did things as rosary beads. But no rain. And so then they went to the traditional Confucian and Taoist shaman priests and said, you know, can you do something? So they came and they set off guns and fireworks to frighten away the evil spirits. But no rain. And interestingly, as a last resort, they called the Rainmaker. The Rainmaker Ragu was a little wizened old man who walked several days from a neighboring province. And when he got there, they said, what do you need? I need nothing, said the Rainmaker. I just need a hut to go and sit in. So off he goes to his hut. And he sits there, Ragu, for three days and three nights. I always think it's interesting, 40 days and 40 nights. It's like you've got consciousness and you've got the unconscious, both being honored there. After which, there was an unseasonable heavy fall of snow, which melted to yield rain. And the drought was relieved. So the Chinese got back to business and the rainmaker prepared to leave. But Richard Wilhelm, being a professor, and not just any old professor, but a German professor, <laughs> I was in touch today with Kathy Coleman, uh, Ralph Metzner's um, widow, uh, uh, yeah, about, um, about Ralph's um, mother having been from Ayrshire in Scotland and her, uh, her, his father having been German. So not just any, but a German professor wanted to know what had happened. I did nothing, said the rainmaker. Oh, come on, said Wilhelm. Were you making magic spells, incantations? No, no magic spells, no incantations. Oh, said Wilhelm impatiently. 
did you just get lucky that you only had to wait for three days and three nights? And no, said the rainmaker, it wasn't that either. Well, what was it? said Richard Vial. Well, I'll tell you what it was, said the rainmaker. When I was in my own province, my spirit was in the Tao. My spirit was in the, the Chinese understanding of the cosmic harmony. But when I found myself in this province, I found my spirit was no longer in the Tao. So that is why I went and asked to sit in a hut until my spirit was back in the Tao and then the rain came. Vago, it's one of those stories that's got no rational explanation. But I think of that African-American woman in the Borat movie and how, you know, she was evidently in her own Christian way in the Tao. And look what's happened. Look how her story is spreading. And when we ask, when young people say to me today, Vago, as they often do, what can I do? What kind of leadership is needed to see us through climate change, come what may in the come to pass of time. I say, become a rainmaker. Settle into whatever your tradition might be. Settle into that cosmic harmony. And then just allow the grace to unfold in you and around you. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, oh. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, thank Talk you, about Raghu. Thank also you. Also, perfect timing before your phone goes bye-bye. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, we got confused with the time difference just now, and <laughs> um, so I wasn't fully charged up, but charged You are fully you charged up. You are fully <laughs> charged up. You are, Alistair, oh, as usual. So and it's work. always such uh, a pleasure. So, Raghu, thank you so much for your work. You heard what my wife, Varen, was saying, you know, uh, your stuff, it's um, and not just to me, but to some of my friends and colleagues here in Glasgow mm. in Scotland. Um, you know, we, we, we love those hearings you put out with so many significant people of our times. Well, I certainly hope, and I've said this to you off uh, uh, aside from the podcast, I would love to come to Glasgow and <laughs> hang out with you and, and all of the people. It's, it's something in me that just I feel like, okay, I think that's going to happen. So I look forward to it. And again, I thank you so much for being here and Be Here Now Network on Mind Rolling. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Mind Rolling. You'll see the show notes. We're going to We'll give you links to, of course, Alistair's books and the, the new book, Riders on the Storm, which is the good song from the doors, not the one, this is the end. <laughs> That's Alistair. And, uh, and also um, Hillbilly Elegy, which I've heard of and I haven't read, and, and we'll give links uh, there, as well as uh, Alistair himself. And thank you again, and namaste. Mm -hmm. Namaste. Thank you so much. Blessed be.